We're going to get to God's word in just a moment. You can start turning there. It's in 2 Kings chapter 19 is where we will be today. As you're turning, if I were to tell you, if I were to say something like this, that there is significant conflict in the land of Syria and Turkey and Iraq and Jordan and Israel, if I were to say that, you would think I'm talking about what you're, what you're reading in the newspaper, what you're seeing on the news. And that would be true. Significant conflict, heartbreaking conflict that I hope the Lord brings to our mind that we pray. But actually, that would also be a way of talking about many of the books of the Bible. Significant conflict in the land of Syria and Turkey and Iraq and Israel and Jordan. As a matter of fact, the book of 2 Kings deals with a lot of that kind of conflict in that very area. What we're talking about is not just decades old, but actually centuries old, millennia old. In the interest of time, I I am going to spare you a million details that would give you background to the passage that we're going to read here in 2 Kings. But I do want to set the stage because I think we'll appreciate the scripture reading a little bit more if, if I can set the stage. 2 Kings 19 is written in the time of King Sennacherib and what's called the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire is growing and you see a map. I apologize for like the three-point font that you can't read. But this is exactly what's been on the news lately, this whole area. And you can kind of see the boundary lines of the Assyrian Empire and where King Sennacherib was actually building his empire. It probably, if we need some frame of reference, when the Assyrian Empire was growing, it probably looked a lot like what we understand ISIS, what they have done. The brutality, the violence, the murder, the devastation. That's what this empire was known for as they began to occupy and expand its territory. So it was growing, and Sennacherib is now going after Israel, the land of Israel, the people of Israel. The person leading the people of Israel at that time is King Hezekiah. You know, there are lots of places in Scripture where I go, man, I'd love to have been there. I'd love to have seen that. This is not one of those places that anybody would ever want to go. As the brutality is going forward, as this is becoming a scary place. You see, King Sennacherib of the Assyrian Empire has this proven and quite terrifying method of getting what he wants, and he's applying it to the people of Israel. Step one is to approach and surround a city and surround a people. As a matter of fact, we know this was his approach, not just from the biblical record, but actually there are three of these. One of these is in London, and it's actually a writing 2,700 years old from exactly this time in which the king is detailing how he would go to places, particularly on this, this writing, on, on this prism, is that he, would go to, that he went to Israel and he surrounded and he approached them with all of his power and all of his might. So that was stage one. Stage two of what Sennacherib would do is then he would threaten the people, threaten a city, threaten a region, emotional threats psychological threats. Whatever you're planning on saving you, that's not going to work. Other people have tried it better than you. It's not going to work. Whatever gods you're trusting in, the threats would go, don't trust them because other people had their gods and look what we did to them. 
he made a pretty compelling case that he could carry out his threats, which is why stage three would mean either the city would just surrender outright or try to bribe their way out of any sort of conflict. So that's why King Hezekiah would just empty the temple of all sorts of its gold and silver and treasures to just try to bribe his way out of it to say, we'd rather, we'd rather get, have all this, our temple emptied out than our whole land destroyed. So that, that's the nature of what we're reading about in this time. I guess there was one other way you could respond to the, the threats and the surrounding. You could fight back, but then the attack would come and your land would be devastated. So the threats are high. King Hezekiah receives some sort of, in the course of chapter 19, he receives some written record of the threats of Sennacherib. What will he do? What does it mean for Israel? How will King Hezekiah respond? I'm going to ask Bruce Hogestrat to come and read at this time, 2 Kings 19, and he'll begin reading in verse 14, okay? Verse 14. Let's hear from God's word. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the the seraphim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of man's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, said to, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is an amazing passage, and there are times when we experience things that are maybe not nearly as traumatic as the people of Israel were experiencing. The stakes may not be nearly as high, but that doesn't diminish the struggle. It doesn't mean that life gets difficult when we're tested. It doesn't mean that we can't be thrown for a loop. And so some of us may not be experiencing near what Hezekiah experienced, but, but we have some season of life that has changed, and it's uncomfortable, and it doesn't seem like it has an end point. When the outcome is less than certain, when our faith has really taken a hit, and it's actually proven to be a little bit wobbly, less than what we thought it was. When you're at that kind of fork in the road, you have some choices. We all make those choices. So one of those choices is just to panic, right? When you feel like you're tested, when you feel like you're pressed, when you have something unexpected, you can panic. You know, oh my goodness, this is really painful. This is really hard. This is really difficult. Sometimes we choose to go down that road. Another, another road we go down is kind of passive resignation. Yeah, oh well. I just knew it. Can't even deal with this. 
and we find ourselves in just deep despair. There's another path where we don't, we don't panic and we don't just resign ourselves, but we, we like lean in. We problem solve. We get our plan. We work our plan. We know that let go and let God was never in the Bible anyway. So we're just, we're just going to get after it. We're, we're going to do it. But I want to ask, are we thinking about all the things in life exactly the way the Lord wants us to think about? Are you trusting the Lord with all your heart? Or could it be that in some ways you are leaning on your own understanding? Are you in all your ways acknowledging him? Or are you kind of forging your own path forward? The goal of this whole series is to retrain our hearts, retrain our minds, retrain our, our spiritual reflexes so that we just think about things differently because we will be pressured by things like this. We will have to deal with some difficult things in life. So I wanted to give us, and you see this on the cover of your worship guide, three big questions to ask. Maybe this will retrain how we're thinking. Maybe we'll have new language, new activities, new action steps that we can take. So we looked at the first of those three big questions last week, and that is, let's train our hearts to ask, where is God in this? I won't go over the story again. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 6. You're welcome to listen to it. But what we, what we said is the answer to that question of where is God in this is that he is present and he is powerful. Where is God in this? He is present and he is powerful. We've got to train ourselves to ask that question, but then also make sure we know he is not distant or absent and he's not weak or incompetent. He is present and he is powerful. But on the second, kind of on the heels of that, I want us to ask a second question. So not is not only are we learning to ask ourselves, okay, where is God in this? But we're also learning to ask ourselves, what can and what should I ask God for? So what can and what should I be asking God for in these kinds of circumstances? And if you say, oh, so this must be a message about prayer. You're, you're right to a degree. But I'm concerned that when we just kind of think, oh, this yeah, I, I know I need to be working on that, that prayer thing. I'm afraid that prayer could be for you just like this rote thing that you've memorized. And you say a number of them when things, like you feel like you need to. Maybe that's the way you were taught prayer. Maybe your prayer sounds like, yeah, sure, I pray. I pray before lunch and it sounds a lot like the last 10 years, the exact same prayer you've prayed every single time. Sometimes I wonder if prayer becomes almost this impersonal thing. That's not the way I frame the question, though. I actually frame the question to make sure we realize something. Prayer isn't this vending machine transaction where we kind of put something in and we expect something in return, and it's just like formulaic. We know if we put this in, we get this out. No, the question I ask is what can and what should you be asking, I be asking God for? That's different. That's a very personal question. We're going to a person, the person of the universe, and we're going to ask him for things. And what can and what should those things be? I think when we look at what Hezekiah did with this threat, we're going to be, going to be really, really helped. I love even the visual picture in verse 14. Did you see this? Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers, and he read it. And then notice what he did. He went up to the house of the Lord and he spread it before the Lord. I just, I love the visual picture of it as if to say, Lord, what are, what are, what are you going to do about this? Take a look at this. 
you know, First Peter says, cast your cares on, on the Lord because he cares for you. And that's exactly what he's doing. Here it is, Lord. Philippians says, make your requests known to God. This is what he's doing. Here it is, Lord. Does he believe God couldn't see it? Of course, Hezekiah knows God can see everything. But he's saying, here it is right here. What an intense situation. Look at how he responds. Then notice how he addresses the Lord. The, the address really matters. You're writing a letter. You make sure the name's correct. Make sure the, the street and the street number is correct. Make sure the P.O. box number's right. City, state, the postal code. You want to think about who you're addressing the letter to. Look at how Hezekiah addresses this prayer to the Lord. Look at verse 15. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, listen to the address here. O Lord, the God of Israel. The one who has revealed himself to Israel. You are enthroned above the cherubim. It's a picture of like when, when you think above the cherubim, it was a picture in the temple where God was present. That's what, that's what Hezekiah is reminding himself as he prays. You, you're there. You're present. And yet you rule over all the kingdoms of the earth. You're God alone of those. You're sovereign. Your, your rule is vast and and you've made heaven and earth. You know, this is who we're praying to. This is who we're addressing. Maybe we need to walk ourselves through verses like this and think through, okay, exactly who am I talking to when I pray? Don't get me wrong. It's sufficient any time to pray just as Jesus taught you to pray and say, our Heavenly Father, our Father who is in heaven. That, that is totally adequate. But there may be times for your own heart where you need to say, okay, God, you made everything. There is nothing here of which you are not in charge of. And you begin to like get your heart even prepared to ask God for things. I love the way John Newton said it. He said, thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. I love that. You're coming to a great king. You bring the big requests. Because his power is so much so that you're not going to ask for too much. What an amazing promise. Hezekiah's view of God is impressive. I, I think Hezekiah also knows himself and he knows his weakness. And at one point in time, he had tried to buy his way out of this dilemma he has. But Hezekiah recognizes he's not perfect. I think he's internalized what Jeremiah 17 says, that curses the one who trusts in man and his own strength. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. What do you need to do? You need to trust. Address your request to the Lord. You get it so backwards sometimes. Sometimes we, I think, feel like I got to get a track record of obedience and then I can ask God, is that the way it works? Hezekiah just pours out his heart to the Lord. I love what a writer said, the power of prayer does not reside in the place where it starts but in the place where it reaches. We need to remember that. The kneeling king may be wholly unworthy, but the king on the throne is full of power, grace, and sufficiency. I just want to make sure we, we get a picture of Hezekiah as putting that threat before the Lord and calling out to the Lord, addressing him like you are. You're in charge here, God. But the real question I want us to go back to today is what can and what should I be asking God for? Do you see it in verse 16? Let's hear what Hezekiah asked God for. 
This king of Israel says, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Did you know you can ask God for his attention on you? You can ask God, and you should be asking God for his attention to be on you. That's exactly what he's saying. So Hezekiah is appealing to the senses of God, using the imagination to say, Lord, incline your ear, bend your ear my direction. Lord, open your eyes so that you can see me. Use your senses, Lord, so that you see me. Pay attention to me. Don't lose sight of me. Look and notice what's going on. Notice the evil. Notice the injustice. Notice the difficulty I'm going in. Please take a look at me. I want to make sure you notice me. Do you realize it's okay for you to talk to God like that? Over and over again in Scripture, I'm reading this. My my eyes have been opened to see how often people who had a vibrant walk with with God said, Lord, look at me. Pay attention. Do you see what's going on? Are you hearing what I'm hearing? Lord, please notice me. We need a voice to say, Lord, my world's falling apart. Do you see? Do you notice? I remember, I think it was last year, I was at a middle school basketball game. And I watched, I watched as this girl made a basket. And the gut reflex of most, especially middle schoolers, who make a basket was exactly, just watching it all unfold, I knew exactly what she would do. She looked over to the sidelines to see if her mom saw her make the basket. Her mom did not see her make the basket because her mom was playing some game on the phone because I had kind of a visual, and she missed it. She didn't see it. Parents are so far from perfect. We miss things. Our kid says, dad, 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 dad. That's not my name. That's not my name. But did you know when you call out to the Lord and say, here, look, see, pay attention. He's never going to be mindlessly doing something else. You have his attention. Call out to it. Lord, do you notice? Lord, do you see? Do, Do you hear? what I'm going through. This is amazing, amazing privilege that we have because the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro all throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. That's what scripture says. You ought to get okay with saying, Lord, I'm not okay if you don't see me and notice me. If you're not, if your eyes are not on me, My world is going to fall apart. I need you holding this world together. Without you, I can do nothing. The alarm bells start going off in our heart like this is not okay. And you begin to like go down the old familiar pathway of panicking. Like it's not going to be okay. This is not going to work out all right. Or or passive resignation. It's just, it's another thing. This is worse than before. It'll never get better. Or problem solving. I'll work it out. I'll work it out. I don't need any help here. And God could rewire your heart to where you say, no, no. God, do you see? God, do you notice? Are you paying attention? Do you hear? Please hear. You can ask God for his attention 
But keep reading, because Hezekiah isn't done. He says in verse 17, Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria... This is what's happened. Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations in their lands. When they came up against the God, that God got cast into the fire. Not really gods, but this is what happened. They were works of men's hands. They were destroyed. But now, O Lord, verse 19, save us. Hezekiah is voicing a prayer, save us. Did you know you can ask God not only for his attention, but also his help. And I know this seems elementary, but we just don't go there enough in our hearts. We, we really don't ask him enough for his help. You can ask God for his help in a specific circumstance. You can name it. That's exactly what Hezekiah did. You notice, Lord Sennacherib, you notice the Assyrians. You know what they do. You know what they have done. You know what, what this situation looks like. It's what's going to happen here. You can verbalize it. You can get specifics. You can name the helplessness that you feel. You can name the anxiety that you feel. You can name the worry that you feel. You can name the danger you feel. Does it seem silly? I promise you the Lord's not looking at it as if this is just a silly thing. Does it seem small? Does it seem selfish? I mean, how many, how many things are you going to say, ah, I guess I just am not going to ask God for his help in this? When actually that's the path that he wants you to take. Is it better for you just to feel angst and pressure and frustration for an indefinite amount of time going forward? Is that really better? Is that really what your Heavenly Father would want you to do? It's not. It's not. Do you name it before the Lord and ask for His help? You're asking for help. You, you feel helpless? Then ask for help. And you say, well, Curtis, I've tried prayer. I've tried that before. This may be something like you saying, well, you know, Curtis, I was hungry once and I ate, but then I got hungry again. I tried it. I ate. Or, you know, I, my kid was misbehaving and I told him to stop it and they did, but then they started misbehaving again. I tried that. I tried, to, I tr- I tried that. It didn't work. You're like, no, no, this is going to be part of the rest of your life is going to be prayer. You can't just like, kind of back out cowardly and go, I tried that once or twice. This is our means of communicating to God, Lord, I need your help. Helplessness becomes prayer. One writer said, the moment that you go to Jesus and speak candidly and confidently with him about your needs. And if you know the gospel, you know what it means to be helpless and to go to Jesus for help. Because, because, in your sin and your weakness, you say, I can't save myself. I need the work of Jesus to be on my behalf and in my place. Isn't prayer something just like that in your weakness? You're going to your heavenly father saying, I can't help myself. I need the work of my heavenly father who loves me and gave his only son for me. I need the strength that the Holy Spirit supplies. This is the good news of the privilege of asking God for things. What would be helpful to you Would it be helpful to you to remember the metaphors that Scripture uses to help us understand who God is? Would it be helpful for you to be reminded that He is your rock, your refuge, your fortress, your shepherd, the door, the way, the living water, the bread of life? What's helpful to you? Would it be helpful to you to remember the names of God as you're asking God for help? Would it be helpful to remember that He is God Almighty, that He is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies? Would it be helpful to you remember? If you were to remember, he's Emmanuel, God with us. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. 
He's the God who was and is and is forevermore. What's helpful to you? Is it helpful for you to remember the characteristics of God? That scripture goes over again and again. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's full of love. He's full of wisdom. He's everywhere. He's all powerful. He knows everything. When you start bringing those things to mind, I think you might be more inclined to say, I need your help. And here's the specifics. I need help with this. I need help with that. What am I asking God to do? What, how am I envisioning him working? What access to God we have that we can ask him for these things? The alarm bells go off in our heart. We go down the panic route, which helps nothing. We go down the despair road, which helps nothing. We go down the problem solve route and, and it seems to help and it helps nothing. We're back to the same spot. Have you ever considered taking things, spreading it out before the Lord and saying, Lord, help, help, help in this specific way. This is where I need you. You can ask for his help. Look at verse 19. He's not done praying. He says, so now, O Lord, God, save us, please, from his hand. But that, that next few words is so, so critical. I hope you see it. That all the kings of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Then Isaiah, Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, your prayer to me about Sennacherib, it's been heard. You know what else we're taught we can ask God for? We can ask God for his glory to be known through all this. His glory to be known through all this. This is that wider lens. So I'm saying, Lord, I need your attention. Lord, I need your help. And oh Lord, I, I deeply want you to be glorified in this. This is more than just about my immediate comfort, my immediate control, my immediate pleasure. I want you to be honored. I want you to be glorified. When we pray prayers like that, we are thinking that there is, there is a God who stands just over time and that God is said to be, he is love. Not that he knows love, he knows how to, he is love. And in his love, he loves you personally. We rebel against him, we do things our own way. And God in his love sets a, a plan in motion to reconcile sinners like us to himself because he loved us. God loved the world in this way. He sends his only son that whoever believes in him doesn't perish but has eternal life. And when a God loves that much, what we want is we want him to be known. We don't want him to just be known in these four walls. We don't want him to just be known in our area code. We don't want him to just be known in our nation. We want the world to know him. We want the world to praise him. We want all peoples to know there is a God who loves, not just loves us, but loves them as well. We want him to be known. And so what we're willing to say, in, and this isn't easy, but this is where the Lord can take us in our prayers. We can say, Lord, I don't necessarily like the circumstances, and Lord, I need your help, but in the midst of this, if, if me being hurt and me being wounded and me going through difficult times means you are glorified, means people see your power, not me, then Lord, whatever it takes, we begin to pray prayers like we read in Scripture, not my will, but yours be done. We, we pray prayers like we want his his glory to be known, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we want it done for the glory of God. We want to live in such a way where people see 
yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. We want the Lord to hallow his name. We want his will to be done. We want his kingdom to come. Are you asking God for that? You can. You should. What I don't want to do is lay any burden on you today. But I do want to point you to just a river of grace. To say, you've got a heavenly father. You can ask him for things. You can ask him for specific things. You can call on him to give you attention. You can call on him to help you. And you can call on him to take every situation, even that which has broken your heart, and say, Lord, for your glory, we're retraining our spiritual reflexes. We're trying to learn new, new habits and new patterns. We're trying to ask ourselves some new questions. We're trying to ask ourselves first, where is God in this? Okay, he's present and he's powerful. What can, what should I be asking God for? His attention, his help, his glory. Let's do that now, all right? Let's pray. I am so grateful, Lord, that the power of asking you for things doesn't reside in Newark, Delaware, but it resides around your throne. You are able to do abundantly above all that we could ask all that we could even imagine. So for the person who thinks they tried the prayer thing and it didn't work out so good, I pray that they would have fresh grace to call out to you again. And Father, the specifics are being filled in even now as I'm praying of, Lord, I'm asking for help in this area, in this area, in this area. And I feel a lot like the person that came to your son saying, Lord, I do believe and help my unbelief. I pray that I ask you that this week you would be bombarded with prayers coming from people who need your attention and need your help and want your glory to be seen. Lord, may our attention be directed to you. May your attention be on us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.